Welcome to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you subscribe, download, rate, and review. And we are going to jump right into it right now as there is always lots to chat about, especially in Raptorland. And who better to uh, do it with than our colleague, our friend on the TV side, the voice of the Raptors, Matt Devlin. You know, Maddie, I feel like this conversation that we're about to have, whether it lasts two minutes or 22 minutes, is probably very similar to one that we had maybe a month ago or six weeks ago or one we could have had where this season for the Raptors, and we're now past the halfway point, it's kind of been the way it's been. It's been up and down, and just when we think that they made have, you know, might have turned a corner, they kind of start to sputter a bit. And just as we start to think they're sputtering a lot and maybe it's going downhill, they put a couple of wins together and start to climb again. It's just kind of been this sort of in the middle all year. You know, it's interesting because I I thought going back to training camp that heading into the season, continuity was key. And as we know, there were injuries. And so, you know, that kind of gets moved to the side. And as of late, it's that ability to be consistent night in and night out. And just when you think, okay, things are going to start to turn, it doesn't. And and there's always that conversation when you start to look at the analytics and the numbers that, you know, the regression to the mean, right, that you think that, okay, they've struggled shooting the three, you know, Fred's, you know, shooting at a 32%. When will this turn because there are players on this team as the three of us know that historically have have shot better for instance but it just it it just hasn't turned from one or two games into the stretch of three four they've had a three game winning streak but into four or five and as we know everything is bottled up right now between five and 12th right in the east and you put together a really good week look at atlanta they've won four in a row they win last night they're 23 and 22 and all of a sudden they were kind of on that mm, are they making a move so they haven't put together that week yet um, and that's that's been i think part of you know what the the issues have been maddie when i look at it um you know the last, uh, the last loss to Milwaukee, and people will say, "Well, there was no Giannis, there was no Middleton." And by the way, Drew Holiday is, you know, he was an All Star ten years ago. The guy's a terrific player. I think Milwaukee's a championship caliber team, so there's not, you know, there's not a you're supposed to win, but with things solidifying and consolidating a little bit more, the bench like a chew back, the bench being maybe becoming a little bit more reliable and looking at your theory about kind of figuring it out and getting back to, you know, to the mean or where you thought this team would be or should be. Do you see a run? Like it's just, as Eric said, it's just been kind of the middle. It's like, all right, three in a row, finally, for the first time in January, and you're looking for it to be four. And, you know, there's a disappointing loss to Atlanta. Then you go on the road to New York a team that's way ahead of you in the standings, and you win there. Like, do you, do you see at some point this thing maybe turning like it did last year, where they won twenty five of the last thirty seven coming home? Well, you know, I've, it, it, a couple of different things. First, of, and you're right. You look at Milwaukee. Look at Joe Ingles, who. Uh, came in and, and had a great game. Brooke Lopez, before being ejected, uh, they made 19 threes. Uh, they can shoot it. Uh, Drew Holiday, as you pointed out, his ability to make a big shot. He was shot for shot with Fred, as we know. I think at this stage, there is no one that any team in the NBA can kind of look at, right? Because you don't know who's in, who's out, and those that uh, – when the opportunity is there, you know, players want to show, right? They want to show out. And so, you know, Milwaukee um, the other night shot it well, uh, got some critical stops along the way, and came away with that W. The question about is there a run in them, 
based upon history, you would say, yes, there is a run in them. When will that begin? When will that start? As we also know, here comes the trade deadline. So um, you would want to see it prior to that. And we'll see kind of how all of that unfolds. Are they capable? For sure. Why it hasn't happened as of yet? You know, that consistency thing. I mean, we can really dive into the numbers and when you're not shooting you know a certain percentage and what that does to your defense and you know there's all those sort of things Um, but are they capable for sure they're capable of putting together um, a run hey matt i want to get into the trade deadline stuff in a couple of seconds um but I wanted to get your sense of this as well. This is a question that I think all three of us have, have asked amongst ourselves, let alone I know we've we've heard the question asked. We might have asked it ourselves in, in some of the uh, pregame coach availabilities with either Nick Nurse or whomever, whichever opposing coaches in Toronto. Question is, why are – and it's not just Toronto. Like Toronto has been at or near the top or, Matt, depending how you look at it, the bottom of the list in terms of opponents' field goal percentage and opponents' points per game. But it's also something that's plaguing the entire league. Why, in your sense, is offense up so much or defense down so much? Because, I mean, even last night, I just for my own sake, I was looking at some of the games and I was like, you know, man, Toronto, Matt, Jones, you know I've said this to you a bunch. They're regularly giving up 48, 50, 52, 54, 56% plus in a game. And I looked last night and the first three, four games I clicked on, Every single opponent was over 50%. Is this just the rules and the way the game's being called? Is it the players and the talent that's in the league right now and the lack of maybe talent that that, uh, is in the league defensively? Like, Matt, what's your sense of why offenses are exploding so much? And now it was just a couple of years ago where 45% seemed to be the kind of the threshold. You know, try and keep a team under 45. Hell, now it's like keep a team under 50 and you've done a good night. Well, it's an interesting topic of conversation, and we're not the only ones having it. The NBA right now, collectively, is averaging 114.1 points, and I think that that's the highest average as a league in 50 years. Um, So the offense is there, and it's there because of the rule changes for sure. Um, and then you add in the amount of threes that teams are taking. Um, and then teams, you know, like the Toronto Raptors, making it more of a possession game, right? Turning you over, limiting field goal attempts while a team may shoot, you know, a certain number. And then this isn't just um, something that the NBA deals with, but they talk about it at the NFL level as well, that sometimes, you know, offenses are ahead of defenses, right? So, you you know, there's still, you know, this conversation among coaches about, okay, what is the best way to guard? And as we know from the Raptors in 2019 in today's NBA, you have to guard a multitude of ways. It's not just, are we going under or over the pick and roll, right? So it's blitzing, it's zones, it's, you know, it's, it, there are so many different levels to that. But I think the scoring is up because ultimately the rules and then how the offenses are now built. Uh, look at Brooke Lopez. Uh, Brooke Lopez, and I looked it up the other day, I didn't get it on the air during the broadcast, but uh, he attempted in the 2016-17 season 14 threes. And then the very next season, he attempted, I don't want to say it was like over 300, right? Going into that year in Brooklyn, he was like three for 31 lifetime. And now he's you know living in that pick and pop, and he had one rebound where when he started in this league, he would have never ventured out to that three-point line. So I think all of that um, plays a part and plays a role in it. Well, you know, Matty, I agree. And and I look at, I mean, it's not just just basketball. Uh, You know, before we went to air, Eric and I were just chatting and, 
I mean, we, we you look at football. Don't tell me, uh, you know, a Kellen Winslow or, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, a Mike Ditka or somebody like that wouldn't have put up the same numbers as a, as a, as a Gronkowski or somebody like that because of the way the rules have changed. I, I agree with you. I think it's the way the offenses are run, the skill level of the players, and the advantage presented to the offense by, by the rules. And the way the game has changed, Matt, and we look at the Raptors, um, and again, I'm going to go back to where you first started with the whole kind of water finding its level. This team, I, I really feel that this team is going to pick up its shooting and its offense. But how much do you see this league playing like the 2007 Phoenix Suns, where you're not getting stops, you just have to get key stops. It's about getting a stop when you need it at, at the right time because the game is built on offense. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I watched Minnesota and, and, and Denver, and I look at a guy like Jokic, who is a two-time MVP, who's not very athletic, very smart, but the rules allow him, the rules help him to be as good as he can be because of the way the game's officiated now. Yes. I, you know, look, I have said this for a while, Jonesy, and you hit on it. You, you need critical stops. Right there's a point of a game where you need to make a critical shot, critical stops, um, and part of this too is that the three ball leads to if you miss it, long rebound, early offense, right transition, and so when you're not making the three ball, as we know, you know ball is going to come out if you don't get your offensive rebound, it just fuels you know, the offense and your defense is put into a very difficult situation. It's why the Toronto Raptors like having Pascal and Scotty handle it in transition because you're looking at the matchups, right? Um, and where a defense can't get set and maybe you get a big on a small and you take advantage of that opportunity you know, quickly. So all of that plays a part in all of it, and um, it, it's interesting to watch all of it unfold in, in front of your your eyes. And what is the pace of play? You know, they talk about it all the time. Where, um, you know, the Phoenix Suns would be like what 29th or 30th, seven seconds or less, right? And you, the other day, we were in a pregame presser, and you asked about, it was with Steve Clifford, yeah. you know, do you envision a team going right the other way? Meaning, hey, we're going to go traditional to try to change it, right? And essentially, and, you know, he, you know, he's like, no, nah, I think this is, I think this is the way it's going to be, you know, for a while, right? And, um and so it's interesting to see the coaches um, handle it, uh, see what they come up with, and then ultimately see some of the defenses. And, and, and as we know, your offense does influence your defense. And, you know, it's the old saying, right, sometimes the best defense is your offense, right? And, and so, and why is that? We just talked about it. You know, miss shot, you don't get on the offensive glass. Team gets a defensive rebound. They get out in transition. You're cross-matching. You're trying to pick up guys. And then here you go. Next thing you know, you're at the rim or you're driving and now you're kicking and it's a three. Okay, so, Matt, let me ask you this. And, Jonesy, you, you may want to jump in after the fact as well as well. Um Listen, Captain Obvious statement here. Nick Nurse, Earl Watson, Nate Bjorker, and Adrian Griffin, the entire coaching staff, they haven't forgotten how to coach. It's not like they've become, you know, uh, uh, you know, they've, they've vapor-locked overnight or into the season. So is it as simple as what we've just been talking about that, and Jonesy, maybe to your point, eventually, fingers crossed, hopefully the offense turns, the shots start falling, the offense finds some consistency, and you can count on your offense on a nightly basis. And then, Matt, to your point, your offense helps become part of your defense. Or do you sit back as a coaching staff and say the way we're coaching or the style that we are playing by trying to force turnovers, by trying to get more possessions, 
it's not necessarily working because look at our record, look at the numbers we're giving up every night, and because, in conjunction with, our offense isn't clicking, this ain't working. Or is it too late in the game to do that? Like, at what point do you stick with or abandon your game plan and say, we got to do something different? Well, I think that they are doing some – well, I think that they are doing some things differently. Certainly with Scotty, they are. Um, and they're getting him involved in different ways offensively, right? Agreed. But defense, yep. defensively, when you look at you know the Raptors, that's a night to night based upon the uh, matchup and also based upon who the Raptors are. And this is you know the best way to play in order uh, for the team to win. And it just so happens that some nights. You know, the Raptors offensively get into three or four minutes of offensive droughts, and that's been really difficult, right, to overcome. And 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 I know everybody like, well, you got to keep somebody in front. You have to. It, it's hard. I mean, I'll never forget years ago doing a New Jersey when they were in New Jersey, New Jersey Nets, Miami Heat game in Miami in the playoffs uh, with Doc Rivers and. Mike Fratello, and we were talking to Pat Riley. Um, and he was saying before the game, and he's like, you know, Doc, how much I love, you know, man-to-man, and you guard your guy in front. And he's like, it's just harder and harder to do that with the skill set, but then also with the rules, right? And 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 that kind of gets played out, right? Drive, kick you know, threes, all those sort of different levels. So, you know, defensively, um, it goes back to getting critical stops. Um, You know, what really hurts your defense are second opportunities that are kicked out for that open three because you're in scramble mode. So there's a lot of things that kind of go into that. Um, But I think that offensively they have adjusted. Um, and defensively, I think that they understand this is who we are. This is who we have on the roster. This is how we have to play. And, um, and, and that's, you know, it just then goes back to what we talked about earlier, the consistency factor. It's unfortunate. Maddie, how much you see the schedule playing into this? Um, you know, the Raptors supposedly by the numbers and opponents records have one of the easier schedules coming home. Um, you know, we talked about making a run. How much do you think that plays into it? And like I said, with the team kind of getting healthy right now and, and you know, water started to find its level maybe a little bit with some of the roles that, that guys are assuming. Well, you would hope that you can take advantage of the schedule. You know, tonight's an example uh, with, you know, Minnesota coming off of that back-to-back from Denver and a late start. Um, because they were the second game of the ESPN doubleheader. And so Raptors were here waiting for them. And so you would hope that, you know, that happens tonight. Um, and so you, you have this weekend, Boston and New York in town, and then you head out west. Um, and that's not an easy trip. Um, so uh, this, you know, I get it. You know, the schedule is a schedule, right? And yeah. I, I, I don't, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I, I don't, you know, there was a time in the NBA, you could actually look at the schedule and say, okay, right. We was, we would all do it. Okay. You know, Hey, this, this, and okay, that one. And, and now, you know, based upon who's playing, who isn't playing based upon all these other different factors, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult to, okay, that's a scheduled L, that's a scheduled W, that's a, you know, in today's day and age, I don't know if if that is as much of a, of a case as it, as it was, um, you know, back um, earlier in the league. So uh, to me, it's just more about, you know, the Raptors, the schedule comes at you and you handle your business. Um, all right, Matt, I know we've kept you quite a while here, but got to keep you at least a couple more minutes here because I did say I was going to ask you about trade deadline. Um, it's coming up. It's just a few weeks away now. Um, and based on everything we've talked about now the last 15, 20 minutes, 
What's your gut tell you? What's your sense? Is it a tweak? Is it a major splash? Is it nothing? Is it an overhaul? Like, how do you, you know, what do you, what's your sense of also factoring in contract situations that are, you know, and decisions that are coming in the offseason for at least a couple of players? Like, what's your sense of what do you think uh, Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri are going to do? I don't know. And I truly don't. As you're asking that, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I don't know. And I don't think anybody else knows what Masai and Bobby are going to do as well. And I think they, they, as we know in the past, you know, keep that extremely quiet. So a lot of the things that you hear out there, it doesn't come from them. Um, you know, typically, uh, whether it was his time in Denver, um, whether it's, you know, his time in Toronto, um, you know, Masai will do a deal um, and, it's something that you'll see come across without any sort of lead up to it. Right. So um, I, I don't know what they're, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a feel because you can make a case, you know, for, um, you know, a few different options. Right. So I don't have a feel as of yet. And I'm here traveling with the team and I'm watching them as you guys are on a daily basis. Um, and and I don't have a feel as to yet what they may be thinking or what they may do or what direction to go at this stage. Wow, <laughs> it, uh, Matt, I, I'm uh, you know I'm I'm the patient type, and uh, you know we always know that Masai says he likes to do his work in the summer and maybe make a tweak here or there. So, I mean, a tweak wouldn't surprise me. Uh, a huge overall overhaul. I mean, I, I don't see that in Maasai. Uh, Maddie, the all-star balloting is, is kind of moving along. I want to throw a team at you that every year there's a team that surprises. Indiana is kind of backing their way through the standings now with, with a bit of a losing streak. Um, but the Sacramento Kings are, uh, as we record this, in the top four. Like they are, they are, they are making a push. And everybody was saying, you know, they had one all-star. Uh, you know, it should be Sabonis. I look at what Fox has done. Would you be averse to having them with two all-stars if they're top three? In, in, uh, and, and those two guys aren't going to get voted in with fan votes either. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, it's talking about the coaches there. W- w- do you see them potentially having two all-stars in the game? I can see it. Sabonis for sure. And it'll be interesting uh, to see, you know, how all that plays out. But as you're asking that, when when was their last All-Star? When was Sacramento's last? I mean, like, was it, it, you know, the early 2000s when they had that just incredible team with Weber and Vladi and Bibby and Peja? It's been a while since they've won like this, and you have to credit Mike Brown. I mean, right now, he's the coach of the year, um, in my opinion. Um, They're 25 and 18, to your point. I could totally see uh, both Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox uh, as all-stars. And Fox is putting up big-time numbers, right? 24 points, six assists. Um, You know, his turnovers are, you know, it's there, right? Um, but Sabonis is a for sure. And the quiet deal that they did, this is not related to all-star was Kevin Herter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was a, that was a really good pickup. And, and for the Raptor fans out there, keep voting for Pascal. He was sixth and he's deserving of being there. Um, And I know, you know, the Raptors right now are a half game back as we tape this of the play in tournament. However, He's played at a high level, and he's averaging 25, 8, and 6, and, and that's just rarefied air. Um, before I let you go here, Matty, you mentioned uh, last Sacramento All-Star, Austin Mackey, our producer. He's on the ball. 2016-2017, okay. DeMarcus Cousins, 
And if I'm not mistaken, that's when they started looking at and then ultimately changing the rule of the trade deadline and making sure that was before All-Star because that was the year, again, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, where Cousins was traded in the middle of All-Star weekend, in the middle of the All-Star game, and it sent all hell breaking loose across the NBA and during the All-Star weekend. And then since then, we've had the All-Star deadline, or excuse me, the trade deadline coming before All-Star weekend as opposed to after, which it was for so many years. Okay, there you go. Forgot there about you go, Matty. You bring up a little history for us. There you go. You, know, you, you lead there us you in go. a direction. It's like you knew what you were doing. No, Matty, we appreciate that. the time as always, man. Thanks, Matt. All right, all the best. All the best, guys. Well, you know what? If we're not talking Raptors, Jonesy, it seems like in the NBA, it's never a bad time to talk about LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, especially this season, the last couple of seasons. Always something going on in La La Land, and we will hook up with our friend Dan Wojcicki from the LA Times when we continue on Smith and Jones. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Make sure you are subscribed to Smith and Jones. If you aren't already, do it like right now. Subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We talked Raptors. We mentioned the trade deadline, another team, another organization that is certainly going to be focusing in on the trade deadline. Can they make any improvements or not? Do they need to make some improvements? What does it look like in Hollywood? For the Los Angeles Lakers, let's chat right now about the Lakers with a friend of the show. He's joined us many times in the past from the L.A. Times, Dan Wojcicki. Dan, great to have you on, as always. Um, and we're getting to that uh, that significant date in NBA history that I wasn't sure that I'd ever see with Kareem's scoring record going to fall. Um, but we, we hate to compare eras. But I look at the number of actual field goals made, and there's still a huge difference because of, in the points anyway, because of the three-point shot. Do you think at any point anybody will say anything, or have you heard any rumblings about this new era and the impact of the three-point shot and how it has obviously aided LeBron in getting to that record where, well... Uh, nobody else would have in the past because of because of the three point shot. Yeah, I think it's kind of a a, a two sided thing. You know, like it's definitely come up, um, but I think when it's come up more, it's it's come up sort of in the context of look at how LeBron has evolved his game, right? Because you know the first six, seven, eight seasons of LeBron James's career, um, teams dared him to shoot three pointers, right? Um, really really dared him and now um you know it, it's you know he shot it very poorly this year you know it's, it's a huge part of what he does offensively right is you know it's, it's not hard to close your eyes and, and to kind of see him the bigger player kind of guarding him and, and him kind of like you know yo-yo dribbling side to side before stepping to the side for a, a, a three-point shot, right? Like, this is, like, one of his moves now. And uh, so there's that part of it. And then I think the secondary part of it is sort of, you know, you talk about three in terms of, like, well, like, who's going to catch him? You know, eventually, like, will he get caught um, by somebody whose entire career is spent, um, you know, scoring uh, – scoring 150% more than a, than a, a two-point shot. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So um, that, that is the kind of – I think those are the two things. I, you know, there has not been a lot of, like, LeBron has really been aided by the three-point shot. This is a huge difference maker in him catching Kareem, um, probably because we're so numb to seeing Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, um, yeah. Lopez – I mean, like all these different players, <laughs> you, you you know, kind of kind of make a living from beyond the arc, and and that's that's still not really LeBron, um, but uh, it, it certainly obviously is a huge factor. You know, the interesting thing, Dan, I might be. This is just I, I haven't looked at the numbers or, or broken them down well enough, and maybe maybe that'll be my homework for the night or for the weekend. But if he continues to play even 75% of this level in the next two or three years, if he's going to hang around for at least a few more seasons and, and have a chance hopefully to play alongside Bronny and we don't see a massive dip in production, which I don't anticipate, 
he might ultimately get there anyways if you if you you know get the final total whenever the career is finally done and subtract the threes. Like the longevity sure. alone is allowing him obviously to put up these gaudy numbers and to, to continue to add to that total as the years continue to pass by to the point where the three ball might not even matter. But I wonder, Dan, at this stage, how much focus for him is on, hey, I know I was getting the record. I'm, I, I was eventually going to hit it, whether it happens this season, next season, whatever, it was going to get there. I don't care about that, though. I need to win. I want to go out on top. And he's kind of made comments similar to that, hasn't he, in the last week or so where it's like, it's still yeah. about championships, and it's still about winning, right? Certainly publicly, right? I mean, I think. And, and look, yeah. I mean, I think he um, – it's interesting because – and it'll be interesting to see how people respond to him setting this record because, I mean, to me, right, like the real the real sort of like if, if uh, an alien abducted me and asked me to, to describe LeBron James, I don't know that I would say – you know, best scorer in NBA history. You know, I, I think maybe what I would probably point to would, would be, you know, there was a decade when he was always in the NBA Finals. You know, um, where he would drag all sorts of teams there. Uh, you know, and then obviously played on some much better ones. But, but yeah, I mean, a player very defined by winning um, and by certainly by playing meaningful basketball. And, and there hasn't been a ton of that, you know, the last few years yeah. of the Lakers. Um, so it, it is interesting to kind of watch this achievement against this backdrop because, you know, his, his patience is, is wearing thin or has, you know, worn down a lot. I mean, you know, I don't think he's made a, a, a real big secret that he'd like to see the team get better. Um, you know, but, but, you know, what, what player, what player worth his salt, like, you know, certainly an all time great, you know, could, could make it to year 20 and be ambivalent about winning. You know what I mean? And I think that is, it's a combination of those two things is why, um, you know, he's kind of gotten to where, I mean, he's got this great desire and he's got this, this incredible focus. And that is part of the reason why he is, you know, who he is and why, why he's chasing this record down. I mean, like it, it, it is, you know, it's come largely in sort of the pursuit of winning. You know, this isn't a guy who just chucks up a bunch of shots. Dan, I, I want you to evaluate Darvin Ham's uh, learning curve, his progress, uh, his success yeah. rate in 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 this season, with it being as trying as it has been, and then the and then within that, you're close to that team. Is there any overt finger pointing? Uh, be it at Darwin or, well, everybody likes to point at Russ, but I mean, has that quelled a little bit? Like, give me, just give me a sense of like everybody like, oh, well, yeah, we do have a new coach. You got to expect it to take some time. We don't have a great roster. Or are they like, no, like let this thing is, let's fix this thing now. Well, okay. So I think, you know, to answer the first question, Josie, I, I mean, I think like Darwin, um, you know, his probably his greatest success for this year is, you know, he's done what he's wanted to do when it comes to, you know, talking about competitiveness and talking about, you know, spirit, these types of things that, you know, it's why this team is, is more fun to watch, why it feels in part, you know, why this team is better than last year's team, even though the, the record is worse. Um, I think that's a part of it. And then I think secondarily, you know, as far as the, um, you, you know, as far as the finger, po- I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. There's some of that, you know, I mean, I think this team isn't like, you know, totally happy with where they're at. I, I think people have, you know, looked at the roster. You can look at late game decisions, you know, um, we're not that far removed from the Lakers having two timeouts and playing the final 14 seconds of a game where, Russell Westbrook attacks Joel Embiid um, like it's a mismatch, like it's not the, the matchup that Philadelphia actually wanted, right? And, and it was. Um, and LeBron James doesn't touch the ball in that situation. Um, the ball doesn't move at all in that situation. You know, should Darwin have a call timeout? Should have drawn up something better? Yeah, like should they have attacked Luka Doncic differently? Um, you know, if a pick and roll, like, yeah. And, and those 
I mean, he's admitted that those, you know, some of the, he's not the Westbrook thing, he stood by that, but the Doncic coverage, he said, was a mistake. And, you know, it's a mistake that costs the Lakers points. I mean, like, the broad game has said it this week. You, you know, I mean, this team doesn't have a lot of margin for error. Um, you know, and they have to play really well to win. They played pretty well, um, and they've been losing. <laughs> so, it, there, there is something you're pointing, but I also think there's sort of like, you know, the difference from last year is that there's just not the level of expectation, you know, that existed. Um, so, so it's a little easier to stomach. So, Dan, you knew the question was coming at some point then. So let me ask, what do you think they do with the deadline coming up in a few weeks? Because they clearly don't have a lot of pieces to yeah. give up in a trade. They've got a lot of big contracts that you would assume are immovable or extremely difficult to move. So can they fix what they've got and improve if they want to go on some sort of last third of the season, last quarter of the season run. Well, I'll tell you what they won't do. And that's, they're not going to be able to fire Frank Vogel again. Like I, I'd like, I know you would want them to do. <laughs> uh, you would want them to hire Frank Vogel back as some sort of consultant only to fire him and scapegoat him unfairly to, to <laughs> slap, to slap the meal off of his plate so his family would have to be cold and hungry here in Southern California. Very, very cruel. Yeah. Um, no, seriously. Uh, do I think they're going to make a move? I, I, I think ultimately they do, um, but I don't think they. It, it won't be like the big move, right? Um, I think it'll be either something involving their seconds or maybe a, a protected first. You, you know. Um, it, it, it's it's funny. I was talking with someone the other day about this. It, it, it feels like they're the problem with the situation that they are in is because they know they probably can't get to where they ultimately want to get this year via trade. That they keep looking forward as to like, well, how does how how does the move that we make at the trade deadline? How does it impact our next move and our move after that and our move after that? Right, and that's that's not a bad way to think. In, 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 in general, but like when you have LeBron James, right, and you are in this very, very wind out situation, there is like a little bit of like, I think, paralysis by now, right? Where it's like, if we do this, that means we can't do this. Or if we do, if we trade for, you know, if we trade for Bogdanovich, well, then that means we can't try to sign player superstar action free agency, right? And, you know, maybe we want to do that instead. And so they end up kind of just sort of treading water. Um, I, I think they, they kind of need to pick a, pick a lane a little bit here and decide, like, okay, we're going to compete or we're just going to get healthy and, and hope for the best and, you know, reset the summer. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that, you know, if they decide to, like, kind of put it all on the table, I mean, you know, the Toronto Raptors would be an interesting trade partner. Um, there are players on that team that would certainly help the Lakers. Um, you know, I mean, from Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, again, nobody. I mean, like, I, I Lowry's gone. Kyle Lowry's <laughs> gone, Dan. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, Taylor Norton talking for Kyle Lowry is an interesting trade that we could talk about. Um, you know, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I you know, I do think that like. You, you, you know, if the Lakers were sort of like, all right, we're committed to this, is what you do is you find a good team that is deciding that they are going to sell, and then you put your picks into play. You put that Russell Westbrook expiring contract into play, right? That, and, and you say, send me back $47 million worth of talent. And you add that to the Lakers, that's interesting. Now, the, the kind of the wrench on this is like, Russell Westbrook's been like, you know, a useful player for the Lakers, too. So, any, any deal like that is, is has its own sort of pitfalls. But, I mean, we talked about, you know, kind of like an in-between trade. I mean, I think like Gary Trent Jr. would be like an in-between type of deal. You know, um, where where you, you, you put you put whether it's, you know, um, I'm sure Toronto would love to get a first-round pick for him. I'm not sure that that, that that can happen. But, you know, I mean, the Lakers have some good seconds. Maybe maybe that's two or three second-round picks for an expiring contract for Gary Trent Jr. Maybe it is, um, you know, something like that, uh, that that the Lakers end up doing. And now, now look, you've gotten better, but have you, if you're the Lakers, I mean, you look at yourself, and I don't mean this 
to be any disrespectful to Gary Trent Jr. or the Bogdanovich or any of these guys. But like you, you, you then walk home and look at yourself in the mirror and say, "We've done it. We have built ourselves a contender now." You know, you know. I mean, we're talking yeah. marginal upgrades. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, let me ask you this. I, 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 I texted Jonesy in the middle of our conversation here because I, I wanted to, I wanted to jump in, and he kind of jumped in with what? Well, he he texted or he jumped in, excuse me, with pretty much what I was texting to him in a sense. I, I mean, listen, I know it's revisionist history, but do anybody does anybody in Lakerland still talk about the what ifs? And I know what ifs don't do mm-hmm. any good, but what yeah. if you had traded for Kyle Lowry? What if you did make the deal for Buddy Heald? What if you did sign DeMar DeRozan? What if you had kept Caruso? Like, I mean, talking about three, four pieces there, even if it was all four, let alone yeah. two or three of those four. And here's my other wild what if. I'm giving you a long one here just because I don't know if Jonesy's going to let me jump in again. Am I crazy to think, is there any what if, not necessarily now in the next three weeks, is there any what if that involves LeBron James not wearing a Laker uniform? Well, so they can't trade him this year, right, because right. of the, the extension he signed. So it would yes. have to be in the summer. Um, you know, I, it, it seems unlikely that, that a trade would happen. I mean, you know, the, for for obvious reasons, like, I mean, look, he's never been traded. Um, I, I'm pretty sure the Lakers would not want to be um, the team that, that, that breaks that. Um, but sure, you know, I mean, like, I mean, yeah, it could happen, certainly in the NBA, right? Like, I mean, all it would take for him is to ask, right? And, and I mean, look, and then that gets into a whole different conversation about, like, you know, what does LeBron James trade even look like? What kind of value could the Lakers extract? Who are the teams, you, you know, that would are, that are close, that, would, that, you know, have the wherewithal and the, the desire for that kind of a deal? Um but I mean, yeah, I think it, I, I think it could be considered. Certainly, um, you, you know, it, it's funny those those what ifs. Yeah, I mean, those what ifs get, get sort of you know look back upon um, different levels. But the Lauer one, like, weirdly, is kind of slid under the table in terms of like Laker lore. I, I mean, that trade, based on everything that I heard, was, was pretty close. You know, before. You know, there there was there was some sort of last minute buckling. I am some concerns I think about fit and, and leadership styles and stuff like that. That I was like, you know, maybe this isn't what we want to do. Um, but you know, like the Caruso one comes up a ton. Um, you know, the the Westbrook deal obviously comes up a ton. Like, should they have just traded for Buddy Heald? I mean, they could have traded for Buddy Heald and signed him other ways, right? Like, they could have had them both. They could have, uh, you know, I mean. They, they traded Danny Green in a first-round pick. They ended up including a first-round pick for Russell Westbrook, which, you know, I mean, again, like sort of like within moments seemed like, well, maybe the pick should have gone the other way. You know, um, there, there's a lot of those things. I mean, you know, it, I mean, it goes back to the Anthony Davis trade too, guys, which is which is wild. You know, like they won a title with Anthony Davis, and there are still people who talk about Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. You know, I mean, Lonzo Ball has had his own challenges, but like, you know, like what that core could have looked like. It, it is, um, it is an itchy, it's an itchy fan base, um, certainly. Um, you know, because of the success that they've had, and then you 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 add that into just sort of like, you, you know, I mean, these have been pretty big moves, and they've been pretty easy to question after the fact, right? So it, it does make. I, look, and I, I'm not 100 percent sure that that's not a factor in all of this. If the Lakers want to trade the line, like I mean, if you're the Lakers, right, and, and your situation is such in which, you know, typically, right, teams. I, I we mentioned, you know, the Raptors size, and I, I'm going to use that as an example. If, if the Raptors were going to trade, um, you know, Pascal Siakam, right? Like, the, the, what that trade package would look like is it would include two things, right? It would include um, good draft picks and good young players. Right or at least interesting young players. Like it's that is what teams that is the asking price when you put a really great player on that. But the Lakers don't really have sort of the young player component, right? So what do they have to do then? They have to make make it up for it with picks. And and you know they can't they don't have enough, I believe, for these guys. But but what happened? What ends up happening is because they don't have sort of the young players, 
when we start talking about these like kind of in between trades, you, you know, they, they may end up paying an extra 20, 30%, um, you know, because like they just don't have, they don't have the right kind of person to add to a trade to, to make the draft capital part a little more palatable. And, and I think there's an element of fear isn't the right word, but I mean like concern that like, you know, like, I mean, you trade an unprotected first round pick for, um, Boyan Bogdanovich and, you know, um, in two years, it's the number one pick right. or in 2027, four years is the number one pick. And then like, you know, like your sort of your, your resume gets relitigated all over again. Yeah. Yeah. S- somewhere Dan, uh, David Griffin is dancing right now um, <laughs> with yeah. the Lakers, with the Lakers big losing Lakers game. New Orleans. Yeah. And, yeah, and, big, and, big and here's my last thing before we go. How much do they trust Rob Palenka to do anything else? Or is it just, you know what? Just sit in the car. You've driven it into the ditch. Just sit there. We will get it out. We will take care of it. Take your hands off the wheel and do nothing else. Who is the they, Jonesy? Uh, ownership. Um, okay. Uh, popular so ownership, sentiment. I mean, ownership gave him. Yeah, I mean, ownership gave him an extension this summer. Yeah, but but we know how that works, right? Why? Yeah, which which you know, in hindsight, is is certainly um, was interesting, right? Like, but they wanted to tether him to Darvin Ham and and you know, push in that direction. Um, I mean, look, I, I think if they do nothing, I mean, fans fans are. It, it, it is a situation like truly where it's hard to like find a winner, right? Like, like the Lakers could go do something and there will be a portion of the fan base that is like, yes, we were aggressive. Like we went and did something. And like the chances are that a lot of those people would be cursing Rob Plinka in three years when like sort of the chickens go home to lose from that, you know? Yeah. And, and so there is that element of it. Um, but then there's also the, the, you know, the the prudent sort of conservative view is also unpopular, too, because then you're not like, yeah, like you've taken the big picture approach and you've waited not necessarily to use your 27 first round pick in 2027, but to trade it down the road or something like that. And, you know, and instead now you're, you know, you've basically said to LeBron James and you've basically said to the, the, to the fan base that, like, he's going to accomplish this incredible feat and he's going to do it playing you know, marginally important basketball. You're not going to give him. You're not going to give him enough. I mean, it's not hard to watch the Lakers. Not think they just need more talent. You know, but this is a team that could use one or two more pretty good players, and if they had them, they would be much more competitive. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, yeah, it, it's it's tough. It, it's a really tough spot. I am I am glad that I am not Rob Polinka, um in the, in this moment. Um, because in a lot of other moments, I mean, I'd be very happy to be Rob Plinker, right? You like people confuse you for Rob Lowe. You, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a good life uh, out here in California. But I, but I think you know, like right now, I, I am very happy um, in, in my situation where I just get to to second guess or, or, or kind of analyze what he does because it, it is a hard decision. Like there, there is not a trade. I don't believe to be made where you can say, boy, the Lakers really won this. You know, like it, I, it's hard to find one. Um, they're probably going to have to overpay. And if they do push all in, um, you know, chances are like, there isn't like a Pau Gasol sort of uh, type trade life raft floating out there for the team. Dan, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for this. Guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Again, that was Dan Wojcicki from the LA Times. Always love having on the show. And Jonesy, I, I just want to get your sense of this. And, and again, maybe I'm guilty now of kind of feeding the rumor mill. This isn't really fantasy trade. This is just my gut, my hunch, because you were talking about Rob Palinka as well. If I, if I get to pretend to be the GM of the Lakers for a second, I asked Dan, do you even fathom the idea, the possibility of trading LeBron? And as he noted, and I knew, but – you know, to make sure that it was clear for the audience. He can't be dealt this year, but he can be dealt in the offseason. If you don't deal him in the offseason or into next year, if things haven't magically turned around in L.A., you might lose him for nothing. And the reason I brought that up and the reason I even bring it up to you is 
Bronny is draft eligible, or we assume is going to come out and be draft eligible in 2024. By all accounts, everything we've heard, barring a change, we still don't know if he's going to college, if he's going to the G League, or if he's going to play in Australia. But by all accounts, it sounds like he's doing a one-and-done. One year, and boom, he's going to be in the 2024 draft. Now, I don't know if he's going to go top five, first round, second round, but somebody's going to draft this dude. And he will thus be on a team. And if that team is not the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James is not re-signing another deal when this two-year contract expires for LeBron. He's signing wherever Bronny goes, correct? Because he's made it known yeah. he wants to play with his kid before he retires. So unless the stars align and it's the L.A. Lakers that draft Bronny, LeBron James might be finishing his career in Charlotte, in Toronto, back in Cleveland, in Memphis, wherever he goes. So if you're the Lakers, do you try to get proactive and say, we're going to deal the dude before we ultimately lose him for nothing? Um. Here's the thing. Uh, you deal them, and you got to take back money. Are you going to get the money back that's going to meet what LeBron gives you? I mean, you, and, and I, I don't say that, you know, like he puts his hand in a bucket of water and he's, he's you know, irreplaceable. But with all that money, are you going to take back one guy? Are you going to take a couple guys? Um you're obviously going to be moving, be moving to a new stage with your team. Or do you play it out, let him go, and now you've got a, a ton of money to spend? Wh- which way do you go? Uh, and, and people always say, well, you know, you, you, you got nothing for the guy. Well, no. If you take the money and go shopping and get something else, he's gone, but you took that money to get somebody else. So... You know, people have a, I think, are hung up sometimes on getting something tangible back that they can see or put their hands on. And sometimes, you know, a GM will have other people targeted or have another plan and go another way. But, you know, you've got to make sure you get those guys or else, yeah, then you have gone for nothing. I'm, if LeBron James is on my team, I'm hanging on to him for as long as I can, right until the last minute when he says, like I push him, hey, are you coming back? No. Okay, now I'll have to deal or do something with it before I go to plan B. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Fresh content every Thursday. We are back at it again next week with another edition of Smith & Jones.